You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. To get this show every day, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget to have your smart device to play podcast Locked On Mets. On today's show, I have the second part of my conversation with Aram Layton, the host of Locked On Marlins. We talk about the Marlins draft a little bit, where the franchise is currently, get into all that in the first half of the show. Then later on in the second half, you'll hear us talk about where the Marlins were with their past ownership. There is a lot of similarities between the Marlins, where they were with Jeffrey Loria as their owner, and where the Mets currently are with the Wilpons. So so I talked to Aram about the comparisons between the two and what it's like to have some fresh blood in ownership. Before we get to any of that, though, I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find any of my work, check me out on Twitter at FinkelsteinRyan. You can also find some of my writing about the Mets at MetsmerizeOnline.com. Real quick, before I played my conversation with the Rom, the Mets did make another roster move. They signed relief pitcher Jared Hughes, who spent last year split between the Cincinnati Reds and the Philadelphia Phillies. They actually signed Hughes to a major league contract. So that is another guy that will be part of the active roster in the Mets bullpen. I'll talk about that a little bit more tomorrow and some of the other moves the Mets have made as they get into spring training 2.0. Now, without further ado, here is my conversation with Aram Layton, host of Locked on Marlins. I want to talk about really quickly, just what's the one uh, prospect the Marlins drafted that you're really excited about this year? Yeah, so, I mean, people were all counting on the Marlins to take, and myself included, uh, you know, for the Marlins to take Asa Lacey. And that seemed like the obvious pick. They go Max Meyer. And at first, I think a lot of people were upset. I don't know how the, what the general pulse of the fan base is now, but Max Meyer is already on the Marlins, uh, you know, 16-man squad. He's on the taxi squad. And there's been several people, you know, that covered Meyer in his collegiate days that say he could be in a major league bullpen, you know, this season. Whether the Marlins decide to do that, I don't think they will. But the fact that he has two 70-grade pitches, the only pitcher in the draft that had two 70-grade pitches, that's his fastball and his slider, I think that that's got to be the guy out of this draft that you really like to, you know, make an impact in the short term. The fact that the Marlins drafted all pitchers with all six of their picks pretty nuts. I like that they did it though, because the Marlins farm system is now creeped into the top five. They obviously need an influx of talent in the majors, but this could be a sneaky team this year. As some of the prospects start to make their way up, look for Sixto Sanchez, Monte Harrison, some of these other players to make their way up. And Max Meyer will be the first guy out of this draft that you'll see in the big leagues. And hopefully for the Marlins, he'll be a guy that could uh, terrorize the Mets and the rest of the NL East a little bit but he does come with a little bit of bullpen risk as well. I think he has the potential to be a frontline starter, just needs to find that third pitch. Yeah, and since you mentioned this season, we'll touch on that, but I also want to get into some ownership questions as the Mets are in the midst of potentially selling as well. But looking at this season, I think the Marlins are one of these weird, sneaky teams where the craziness of everything going on 
almost gives them a lot more of a chance than a regular season. It's a 60-game sprint. It seems like if just having a good farm system, your player pool is filled with talent. And who knows if the Marlins have you know two good weeks, all of a sudden they're in a playoff race. What are your expectations for them in this 60-game sprint? You know, it's a good point, and people are talking about all of these underdog teams. If the Marlins were playing in another division, I would definitely be drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit. I think when you're playing a majority of your games, you know, two-thirds of your games against the NL East, being that the Mets are a great team, Phillies are a great team, Braves are a great team, and the Nationals are a great team, it's going to be really hard for a team like the Marlins. But what I will say is this is a much different Marlins team than you saw last year. You know, last year, the prospects were too far off. They didn't have some of the free agents that they picked up. And you saw 16 different players make a start in the outfield last year for the Marlins. And it wasn't quality players. It was, you know, rentals, Cesar Puello, some guys you hadn't heard of in years, quadruple A types of guys. Now, the Marlins' prospects are closer to you know, being major league ready. Some of them are major league ready. And you have Corey Dickerson added to the mix. Monte Harrison, now the prospect, is ready to go. And so instead of just having a revolving door of career minor leaguers, now if somebody doesn't pan out, if Lewis Brinson doesn't pan out, the Marlins have another top 100 prospect like Jesus Sanchez or Monte Harrison just knocking on the door ready to go. And that's something that the Marlins didn't have before. So while it might not translate into wins, it'll translate into a more competitive environment and at least – the Marlins will, you know, have something to look forward to this year. And instead of just saying, you know, oh, we're going to wheel this rental guy out there and see if he can just get us through the season. Now you're going to start to see the Marlins uh, young guys making their way up. And you add the fact that they added Corey Dickerson, added Jonathan Villar, who stole 40 bags and hit 270 last year. And Jesus Aguilar, a bounce back candidate. This is by no means a good team, but definitely much improved from last season. And won't be a slouch for any team in the NL East. Now we interrupt your programming to talk about rockauto.com because you never know when your car might stall on the road and you might need to go and get that thing fixed. And if you're going to do it yourself, why go to an auto parts chain store or a new car dealership and spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the exact same parts? If you're fixing it yourself, you're trying to save money. So go to rockauto.com, a family business serving auto parts to customers online for 20 years. rockauto.com has everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks and have it delivered directly to your door. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in there. How did you hear about us box. So they know that we sent you. Amazing selection. Reliably low prices. All the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com I think, you know, in two or three years, who knows, this Marlins team has so much young talent. And to get to that point, there was another teardown. And I want to kind of take you back a little bit because, as I was mentioning before we hit record here, I live in South Florida, so I'm very familiar with the Marlins. And 
there is a lot of comparisons when it comes to ownership because while Marlins fans aren't as loud about it maybe as Mets fans are, I can tell you firsthand, Jeffrey Loria was as hated in the Miami market as the Wilpons are in New York. And so there was teardown after teardown. They broke up a World Series team in 03. They got taxpayers to fund a really beautiful ballpark and uh, promised that they would spend. They end up signing Jose Reyes from the Mets, tried to sign pool holes, all this promise of trying to be a big player. They have a terrible season in that first year in the ballpark, and they basically tear it all down again. And so what was, from someone who follows the team as closely as you do, what was your impression of that past ownership group? And what was your thoughts as they finally let go of the team? Yeah, well, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. And, and I will say one thing, though. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from what Mets fans have had to endure with the Wilpons, but I think if Loria was the Mets owner, I don't think there would be a city field. I think it would have been burned down uh, with some of the decisions that uh, Jeffrey Gloria made. That being said, I think it's exciting that the Mets are you know, eventually going to sell the team because it really is refreshing to have a fresh start. While it was tough to see this team get torn down, it was you know, a necessary thing for an ownership to finally have a direction, right? And, and that, that's the big key is having a direction instead of just aimlessly walking and throwing money left and right. And the Marlins were always looking to profit from revenue sharing, break even, and the ownership was looking for ways to make money. If they're competitive, it's icing on the cake. When they wanted to get that stadium, as you pointed out, they promised they would spend. So what do they do in 2011? They spend. But you don't build through free agency, one. Two, I'm okay with spending. But I actually tweeted this the other day. The Marlins 2011 offseason, which was the offseason before going into the new stadium, was easily could be mistaken for you know, a child playing on franchise mode on MLB The Show. They signed 33-year-old Mark Burley to a five-year, $58 million deal. That was actually the best contract out of all of these. 34-year-old Heath Bell, three years, $27 million. They trade for Ozzie Guillen. 29-year-old Jose Reyes gets six years, $106 million. They trade for Carlos Zambrano, and you mentioned the offer to Albert Pujols, which would have decimated this franchise because they wouldn't have been able to get out from under it like they did the Stanton contract. So you have just an inept ownership that you know fans are clamoring for them to, to spend money. They finally spend money, but what it does is actually sets them back even more and gives them, you know, puts them in a spot where they actually have to reset all over again. So spending that money was actually the worst thing that could have happened. When you take the new Marlins ownership now, they come in and they have to tear it down. You know, they had to trade Stanton. They had to trade Yelich and Ozuna and those guys, and it was really tough. It, it, of course, was really tough. And I think the problem is that fans couldn't distinguish this teardown from the previous ones. The previous ones were, were 100% financially driven. While I know money played a factor in this teardown for the Marlins, there was more to it than that. You have no money. You have a team that is perpetually below average. The Marlins never won more than 70-something games with John Carlos Stanton in the lineup which is just absurd. You know, he comes up after 2008 and the Marlins have never gone over 500 with John Carlos Stanton, Christian Yelich, and Marcelo Zuna. You pair that with the worst farm system in the league. How do you get better? You have no money to spend. You have a team that's already underachieving and you have no farm system. You're screwed. So the Marlins had to start over. They get out from under the Stanton contract. I think that trade looks good for them. The Ozuna trade was a huge win for them already, you could say. He's not with the Cardinals anymore. He's with the Braves. And the Marlins got Sandy Alcantara, who might be one of their best pitchers already in the bigs. They get Zach Gallen, who they flip for Jazz Chisholm, who's the future shortstop and a top 100 player, uh, top 100 prospect. 
And, you know, they make some moves. The Yelich trade stings. I mean, who would have known that he would turn into a perennial MVP? But, you know, that's just what happens sometimes when you tear it down. But I think the refreshing thing is that the Marlins have a direction. And not that the Mets don't have a direction because Brody Van Wagenen took over, but you need an ownership that is willing to support the people that work below them. Brody Van Wagenen, I think, when he accepted the job, said, you know, you better let me do what I want to do. And they are doing that. And I think it's working out well for the Mets aside from, you know, one or two trades that we talked about. But having a new ownership, you know, you can speculate on who you think the best owner is and this and that. And you won't really know until they step foot, you know, in the stadium as the owner. But a new ownership is with guys like the Mets and the Marlins, teams like that. It can only be better from here, I promise. And I think having whoever wants to buy the Mets right now is going to want to do the right thing. And they're going to want to turn this team around from some of the, you know, murky past that they've had. Yeah. And I think, and one of the things that kind of overshadows everything with this latest teardown is the, you know, tragic and untimely death of Jose Fernandez. That team that season, I remember was actually in a, a playoff race. And then obviously that kind of ended that year. And you look at the talent that was on that team and it is really a shame that things didn't work out for the Marlins. Obviously, best outfield in baseball, in my opinion. There was growing to be that with Stan Nozuna and Yelich, Real Muto behind the plate. I mean, they had a ton of talent. The one thing I will counter on, though, is I, I mean, I guess you did kind of say the Yelich trade didn't work out, but they had Yelich on such a good deal. That was the one move that I look back on for this ownership group, and I can kind of say I don't know why they made that decision and made that trade, but overall – David Sampson himself, the last president of the Marlins, has said he didn't care about prospects. Well, clearly that's not how you build a good organization. And Jeter's group has done that. So you got to give him a lot of credit for actually having a good farm system and I don't know how long. Absolutely. And, and that's the crazy thing is look what this guy is saying. The guy who just, you know, made those decisions in that 2011 offseason I just read to you. I mean, David Sampson is, is just a, considered a joke by Marlins fans. You know, for the most part, it's kind of harsh, but this is a guy with no, you know, reason to have the job that he had other than the fact that his, uh, I think it was his father-in-law is the, was the owner of the team and Jeffrey Loria. So, I mean, it's just nepotism at its finest. And that was the only reason why he had that job. But yeah, you got to build through the farm system and look at the Mets. I mean, some of the Mets' best young players were guys that came up through the farm system and guys that, you know, they groomed themselves. That's just how baseball works. You can add in free agency, but at the end of the day, you know, you, you got to build from the bottom up. Fortunately, the Marlins are doing that. I think the Mets are doing a good job of both right now, you know, by getting some free agents, some impact guys while still building from the bottom up. I think Van Wagenen learned his lesson in training Kalinic so early, just as the Marlins, when they were getting close to contention that year, you mentioned before Jose had passed, they trade Chris Paddock for Fernando Rodney. You know, that's just that's agonizing. You trade Luis Castillo for Dan Straley. That's also agonizing. You know, and the things like that you, you got to learn from because you, you want to improve your team when you're making a run, but you also don't want to compromise the future. And that's where having a smart ownership group that can balance the two is really important. And you, you got to hope that Brody Van Wagenen, he's a go-getter. We know that, that he doesn't fall into that trap a little bit as well and start, you know, trading away prospects when the Mets sniff the postseason because he wants to, you know, make a run and prove himself as this super agent turned GM. Yeah. I think it's going to be interesting to see how the Mets ownership ultimately shakes out. We just saw today, apparently it's seven 
Uh, there's been seven potential owners that have been improved by Major League Baseball. That could fall out soon. You just got to hope that whoever comes in has a little bit more money and is willing to kind of build this thing the right way. But I, I think the Marlins are heading in the right direction. We'll see what happens when those players that they have need contracts. If this is an ownership group for Miami that can actually keep guys around that doesn't have to trade a Miguel Cabrera way, you know, at the beginning of his career, a hall of famer. But I think the Marlins are heading in the right direction and I'm uh, looking forward to continue to talk about them with you over these next couple of years here. Absolutely, man. And I think the NL East period is, you know, the best division in baseball bar none. It's, it's not even close at this point. And as the Marlins continue to get better, it just solidifies the case. And this is a Mets team that's going to keep getting better. Nationals are going to keep getting better with some of the best young stars in the game. Braves as well. I mean, this is going to be a race. And you could see three, you know, NLE's teams making the playoffs multiple years. Especially with the expanded playoff format. Who even knows? It could be four. <laughs> yeah, could you imagine? But you could make the case for that. I mean, this, this division is going to be nuts. And I'm excited to see what's going to happen in the future. Marlins hopefully will start bringing up Sixto Sanchez, guys like that. And the Mets will start bringing up some of their guys. And uh, it's going to be a lot of young talent. I think a lot of, of the future of baseball is, is in the NL East right now. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining me. I want you to tell everyone where they can find your work and uh, appreciate you coming on. Sure thing. Uh, I'm at RMLateNate on Twitter. I'm not just Marlins guy. I talk about all prospects. So any questions on Mets prospects, I eat that stuff up. Uh, broadcasted in the Cape Cod League. So saw a lot of these uh, guys that were just drafted. And thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for having me on here. It's also at Locked On Marlins if you ever want to hear about some NL East foes. But I do a crossover. Just did an episode on the entire NL East draft. If you want to listen. And uh, a lot more on the thoughts that I just shared uh, on, on this whole draft for the Mets. So thanks for having me on, Ryan. Yeah, for sure. So that'll be all for today's edition of Locked on Mets. Again, big shout out and thanks to Aram Layton, host of Locked on Marlins. On tomorrow's show, close out the week, recapping you on all the Mets news as we head into the weekend. Thank you for listening. Please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you want To get some more great baseball content, check out the Locked on Marlins podcast right here on the Locked on Podcast Network. All you have to do to get the show is tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Marlins.